Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Billboard Charts. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Deputy Editor Digital. Hi, Katie. How are you? Doing great, Keith. How about yourself? I'm all right. You know what? It's been... I was I, we, we were talking about what we were going to talk about today on the show, and I was going through all the big pop things that have been happening the past few days, and there's a ton. And there's a lot. On top of that, like I feel like every half an hour we get a new press release about a new tour or show that's about to happen. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah, it's, tours are are back. It feels like things <laughs> are happening again. Yeah, a hundred percent. And uh, we'll be talking about a little bit of that today because, as always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news on how Taylor Swift's Evermore album jumps back to number one on the Billboard 200 chart for a fourth non-consecutive week, months after it was last number one. What happened? Well, stay tuned and we'll tell you what caused its sudden jolt back up to the top. And... BTS holds atop the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart with Butter for a second week. Some might say Butter's on a roll. Oh, <laughs> there are, is no shortage of butter puns. <laughs> yeah, that joke written by Hot 100 chart manager Gary Trust, everybody, so feel free to blame him. <laughs> Thank you, Gary. Plus, we have news on new music videos from Dua Lipa and Billie Eilish, as well as Lady Gaga's announcement of a Born This Way 10th anniversary album featuring covers of the album songs from other artists, including the first two releases from Big Frida and Orville Peck. This got us thinking about what other recent albums could inspire the same treatment, so stick around for more on that. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. Okay, let's do the chart chat. First up on the Billboard 200 albums chart, Taylor Swift's Evermore returns to number one for a fourth non-consecutive week on top as the set vaults 74 to 1 with 202,000 equivalent album units earned in the United States in the week ending June 3rd. And that is up... 1,709% compared to the previous (laughs) week. And of course, that is according to MRC data. And of that sum, album sales comprise 192,000. That is up 8,307%. Let me marvel. Let me wow you with percentages. These seem like very fake numbers. (laughs) They're like (laughs) 2,422% increase. Uh, by the They're way, all real. They're all real. That is the biggest sales week of 2021. Now, Evermore's sales surge in the week ending June 3rd was fueled by a number of drivers, including record-breaking vinyl LP sales, Swift-signed CDs, and deep discounting on its digital album. While Evermore uh, goes back to number one is a big deal, what is also a very big deal is just how many copies the album sold on vinyl last week. Um before I get into the vinyl thing, I just want to say there is lots of things to say about Evermore going back to number one, and I've written what is basically a term paper on it, um, and you can find that on Billboard.com. I wrote the story on Sunday, <laughs> so go to Billboard.com slash chart dash beat, scroll down, you can find my story about Evermore going back to number one. Keith doesn't know this, but he actually just earned a master's degree from writing that thesis paper. In a Taylorology? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so... Uh, 
Evermore was initially released digitally and through streamers on December 11th, 2020, but its vinyl album was not issued until May 28th. Why did it take so long? Well, here's the thing. Making vinyl takes a really long time. You have to have the master recording of the album in hand to then turn around and give to the manufacturer to make the vinyl album. And if you don't have it far in advance of the album's release date, you're going to be waiting a while. So May 28th was the day that they could finally get this vinyl album out because it took five months to make it. And heck, last week I saw Brockhampton announce that their latest album will be released on vinyl. By the way, the album that they just released like a month and a half ago, they said, oh, the vinyl edition is coming out in April of 2022. Because that's just how long it's going to take for them to get their vinyl album out. There's a lot of great stories on Billboard.com about all the many reasons that vinyl is delayed currently. I just like to read about it. Someone needs to build a couple new manufacturing plants for vinyl. Indeed. Yeah. Yes. Um, So because uh, Evermore was delayed on vinyl until May 28th, uh, there was a lot of pent up demand for that vinyl LP. Um, And in turn, it ended up selling 102,000 copies on vinyl in the week ending June 3rd. And that's just in the United States. And those huge vinyl sales are helped obviously greatly by months of banked pre-orders because the album went up for pre-order in Taylor's store in mid-December when Evermore was initially released. So all that said, the 102,000 vinyl album sales breaks the MRC data era record for the biggest sales week for a vinyl album. And that was previously held by the debut week of Jack White's Lazaretto with 40,000 copies Ah. sold in the week ending June 15th, 2014. And by the way, the MRC data era, meaning like the modern era of when we've been sort of authoritatively electronically tracking album sales and music sales that started in 1991. So um, obviously vinyl albums were used to be like the leading format for album sales way back in like the 60s and the 70s. And eventually they sort of phased out in sort of the mid to early 80s. Cassettes then took over. And then in the 90s, CDs took over. So um, in the modern era, since 1991, Taylor has the biggest sales week for a vinyl album. And um, I only think we're, we're probably going to see even bigger weeks coming maybe in the yeah. next few months um, from even more albums. But yeah, it was a huge week for Taylor on vinyl. Did you, did you get your copy yet, Katie? I haven't, but we I think we've talked about this. I actually do not have a record player. So, huh. and embarrassingly yet, enough. And yet behind you on the Zoom that I'm watching you on, it looks mm-hmm. like you have an old timey radio probably. It's actually like it's a speaker like with an auxiliary cord. It just looks cool and old timey. Ah, but you could plug a record player into it. Oh, there you go. Someday. All right. Fine. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, Evermore displaces Olivia Rodrigo's Sour album uh, from number one, and it falls to number two in its second week with 186,000 units earned, and that's down 37%. It's actually the first time in two years that women have gone back-to-back at number one since Pink's Hurt to be Human, Hurts to be Human, I apologize, debuted at number one on the May 11th, 2019 chart, which displaced Billie Eilish's When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go?, which notched its second non-consecutive week at number one on the May 4th dated chart. So it's kind of cool. I mean, even though, like, Olivia isn't number one, uh, she falls to number two, but kind of it's nice to see two women, you know, 
take turns at number one, which isn't something that happens all that often anymore. It's usually just a bunch of dudes at number one. That's surprising. Yeah. While Sour gets bumped to number two on the Billboard 200, Sour is the first album in over a year to see its first two weeks each earn over 185,000 units. The last album to start as strong was Lil Uzi Vert's Eternal A Take, which had 288,000 in its first week and then 247,000 in its second week back in March of 2020. So I feel like we'll be seeing Olivia at the top of the charts for a while. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that little Uzi Vert one had a deluxe edition that came out that second week. So uh, Olivia just, same old album. And Olivia just has those 11 tracks. Yeah, those same 11 tracks. There you go. Next up over on the Hot 100 Songs chart, BTS's Butter is pat at number one for oh, a second man. week. Hey. There it is. Yeah, I know. I, I did that one. churning out those butter puns. I, we, those two, we made up on our own. Mm. That goes, that's no credit to Gary. That was just no. us. <laughs> Um, while the song was up a little bit in airplay audience in its second week, it was down in streams and sales. However, its sales figure of 140,000 is the big driver, keeping the track at number one. Its second week sales were helped by not just the original version of the track and its instrumental version, but also a new remix dubbed the Hotter Remix that was released on May 28th. And all of those were priced at 69 cents apiece. Next week, the song will benefit from two more remixes that were released on June 4th, the Cooler and Sweeter remixes. There's so many adjectives. I'm I'm just waiting for the, um, God, what other, like, what other temperatures can you think of? There's like hotter, cooler, sweeter, (laughs) sourer. Yes, exactly. It'll feature Olivia Rodrigo. You never Uh know. So now there is a lot of new music to discuss from this week. Uh, Dua Lipa is actually keeping the future nostalgia train going well over a year after it was first released by releasing a brand new video for the standout song Love Again on Friday. The video takes me back to the super weird metaphorical music videos of the 90s with its cowgirl rodeo clown storyline and lassoing a giant egg and just generally making you wonder what's going on and who thought of this but it's also fascinating and fun and has great line dancing choreography uh keith i don't even have to ask you if you've seen this video i know because you tweeted about it that you've seen it uh and you specifically tweeted a a vision board of of references and i i would love for you to share with the people um yeah so i share i tweeted um my mood board after seeing uh (laughs) love again I uh, tweeted four images, one from Madonna's Don't Tell Me video, where her and her backup dancers are dressed up as cowgirls and cowboys and doing a little bit of a uh, si doing And then a screenshot from Bonnie Tyler's Holding Out for a Hero music video, where there is a um, shadowy cowboy character who is holding on to a lasso that is made out of glow-in-the-dark neon material. A screenshot from uh, the film Urban Cowboy, which Mm. starred John Travolta and Deborah Winger. And this particular screenshot was Deborah Winger on a uh, mechanical bucking bronco bull rider Mm -hmm. thingamabob, um, looking very sexy and come hither. And then uh, the last screenshot was from the Robert Redford Jane Fonda film, The Electric Horseman, where Robert Redford plays a, like, former, like, rodeo cowboy champion who ends up becoming like a pitchman for a breakfast cereal or something <laughs> and he basically rides a horse through and like 
like a casino. And anyway, the whole thing was, I remember I was like watching Dua Lipa's video. It made me think, isn't there a movie where someone was in like a cowboy outfit and it all lit up with lights? Oh, that's right. Robert Redford, his outfit lights up with a bunch of lights on it and he looks like a cowboy. So all those things were dancing through my head when I was watching Dua Lipa's video. I they were l- line dancing through your head. Line dance. Thank you. But I couldn't really place like, okay, I don't know. I don't understand the egg, the egg that is being lassoed by the like the clown cowboy. Dudes. Well, and she's also cracking eggs into a bowl, and they're like the yolks are like bright paint. colors. It looked like the paint that was on yeah. the faces of the dancers. The, I, I don't, don't know. know that there's an explanation, but you know, when you go back and you watch like Losing My Religion or something, what's going on there? Who knows? And that's what I'm saying. It's very much like it's just very abstract, and I I'm here for it. I enjoyed that. It's certainly a visual treat. Yes, yeah. and I'm also just happy that Love Again is getting some love because it was one of the first uh, non singles to stick out to me when I initially heard the album. You know, back in March 2020, and uh, it uses the same sample that White Town used on their 1997 hit Your Woman, um, which is a sample itself of a. 1930s trumpet line from a musician named Al Boley. Yeah, so that one stuck out, stuck out to me immediately because of that sample. And then also it's just a great song. And it's the one that she and um, Elton sang together at his uh, Oscars party um, this year. So it feels like it's getting a little buzz late in the game, which is... I, lo- I love this future nostalgia cycle. And actually, I think Pretty Please should be a single too. So like, let's just keep going. Oh no, check, 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 check back in with us uh, next March when she'll have gone through all of the tracks on the album as singles. <laughs> exactly, it's going to be pop album of the year for three years running at the Grammys. Is that, can you do that uh, at the Grammys? Can you win more I, no. more than one? No, oh, no, right, not for albums. <laughs> um, so speaking of new videos, Billie Eilish also released one uh, this past week. She put out the new song "Lost Cause" and a buzzy music video with it on Wednesday. It's the fourth song released ahead of Eilish's highly anticipated Happier Than Ever album, which is due July 30th. The first three being Lucy Singles, My Future, and Therefore I Am, were those were part of this album cycle as well, and also Your Power, um, which all hit the top 10 of the Hot 100, with Therefore I Am peaking at number two. So another big song from Billy ahead of this album. Uh, the whole The whole vibe definitely follows in the vein of Billy's British Vogue cover. She's showing off a little more of a grown-up style. She's got the blonde hair, of course. Uh, but she's also throwing a pajama party in the video, so you're reminded that she's still a teenager. <laughs> I, I want to <laughs> say that my um, my mom, who's listening, hi, Mom, um, mm. had many thoughts on Billie Eilish's new look. Oh, okay. Okay, Mom. Uh, What's up? Billie, Billie Eilish is, is, is impacting... Um, sort of the, the moms of the world and making them yes. think a little bit more about what Billy's wearing. Okay. What do you want to share the thoughts? Or you just think she had thoughts? Well, no, I just, I would, I just want to say that she had <laughs> thoughts and I thought it was interesting okay. that some for who knows, it's like, that's just Billy's reach, you know? Yeah, oh, a hundred percent. It's just yeah. kind of crazy. That show, you can tell when something is a phenomenon when your mom starts talking to you about it, 100%. You and I have had this conversation before where both of our mothers have discovered music purely through seeing it on the Today Show or like Kelly Clarkson Dancing with the or stars. something. Dance with yep, the Stars. exactly. We're like, this is why those people do those shows, because it's reaching people that aren't as in tune to music as perhaps the folks that are listening to the show right now. And the real test is when my three-year-old son and my mom ask me about it. And then you know something is truly a big deal. Well, I'm hoping but, your mom has asked you about Dua Lipa a lot because... Oh, she know. knows all about Dua Lipa because she thinks of him as my son Calvin's favorite artist. 
So that's that's how she thinks of Dua Lipa. <laughs> oh, I, the next time we talk to Dua, we have to remind her about the uh, baby cow loving Dua Lipa. Oh my God! Still, yeah. the love Still? continues okay. as she continues to put <laughs> singles out from his favorite album. When, when Cal graduates from high school, she'll still be working the future nostalgia singles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In other new music news, on May 28th, Lady Gaga announced her "Born This Way" the 10th anniversary album, which is a re-release of the "Born This Way" album due on June 18th. But the new edition of the album features all 14 songs from the original version will come with new packaging and six additional tracks where Gaga taps different artists who are representing and advocating for the LGBTQIA plus community to reimagine all the songs of Born This Way. Well, not all of them. Some of them. Oh, six of them. Yes. (laughs) The first release, the day she announced the album, was Big Frida's take on Judas, and then came uh, Orville Peck's cover of the title track this past Friday to kick off Pride Month. Uh, so I've listened to Judas and and Born This Way Now, obviously both iconic songs and, you know, by themselves. And then now these are brand new. They're, they called them like remixes, but these are just brand new They're versions of these songs. They're, They're covers. covers. Yeah. Um, Big Frida's is like a chaotic dance song. <laughs> it's just like a wild energy. <laughs> have you ever seen Big Frida live before? Yes. Yes. It's, <laughs> yes, it's I an have. experience. Yes. <laughs> and then Orville Peck's uh, Born This Way, is, it's like if Roy Orbison covered Born This Way, and, and that is like a high compliment. It's, yeah. an, it's an incredible take on the song. I mean, it's, it's to, both of these artists took these songs into their very, you know, definitive styles. Yeah. Um, and it just shows what great songs they are, too, because, you know, if your song can be covered, you know, in, in lots of different ways, it shows just how, like, you know, malleable the, you know, the song is and how it can be just presented in a lot of different ways. Anyway, it's it's exciting. Um, I it got us thinking about lots of other cover albums that have been released in the past, specifically ones that were reimaginings of specific albums because the first thing I thought of was like the the Eagles tribute album that was very big but but that one was just all their greatest hits covered this is specifically like uh, you know uh, an album era so Keith you you mentioned a few things that have been released before well first I was initially thinking of like okay so who else has done something where you've You've, you've decided to do an anniversary reissue of an album and like reissue it the same album, but with also covers of those songs by other artists on that mm. same deluxe, like what Gaga's doing. And uh, Elton John did this with Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, one of his most famous albums, and he did it in 2014, where there were covers of the album tracks by Ed Sheeran, Miguel, Fall Out Boy, and Zac Brown Band, among others. Um, I also thought of when Michael Jackson put out Thriller 25, the 25th anniversary of Thriller. There were a couple extra sort of like remixes, reinterpretations of the songs on the album um, that married like Michael's original vocals, maybe with some new vocals, with um, contemporary artists like Akon, Kanye West, uh, Fergie, and Will I Am. Um, and then after that, I was thinking, well, it's hard to think of a lot of examples where it's like, oh, here's a deluxe reissue of the original album plus some covers all on the same mm-hmm. thing. At that point, I thought, well, I remember there were like just full sort of tribute albums that were just literally that album redone by other artists. Yeah. Do you want me to rattle these off too? Or did you want yeah, to say what please. they Yeah, please. Okay. Sure. Um, well, there was uh, Carole King's Tapestry, um, which is a classic album from, I believe, 1971, I think. Um, 
huge, huge album. Um, you know all the songs on it, even if you don't yeah. think you do. Yeah. And there was a version of the album put out um, back in 1995 called Tapestry Revisited. Uh, and it, it basically was the Tapestry album covered from top to bottom by artists like Aretha Franklin, Celine Dion, Rod Stewart, and the Bee Gees. And then an album that most people listening to the show have probably heard of, Fleetwood Mac's Rumors, a huge number one album from the late 1970s. It got its own tribute album called A Tribute to Fleetwood Mac's Rumors. And that was in 1998 with covers by Elton John. There he is again. The mm-hmm. Cranberries, Goo Goo Dolls, and Matchbox 20. Yeah, the la- the rest of that track list was very much a time capsule of 1998. Like, yes. uh, aside from Elton John. Um, but everything else is like the biggest artists right then on like pop and alternative radio. Um, you know, so then we started thinking about what other albums from the last, maybe from the last 10 to 20 years, kind of like born this way could inspire the same treatment, um, that Lady Gaga is doing with, uh, with born this way. And one of the artists that we already, uh, discussed, uh, was Taylor Swift. First of all, she's covering her own albums. currently. Right. She's, she's already done the homework for everybody. And then I thought of like um, Ryan Adams did a full cover version of 1989. Um, that was like less than a year after she released 1989. He did a complete cover um, redo. But this would be like more of a various artist thing. But I think that what um, Ryan Adams version of 1989 proved was that those songs were really ripe for reinterpretation. And I mean, maybe all Taylor's songs are because she yeah. I mean, it's a great, strong songwriter. But I would love to hear. I could think of a lot of artists that um, would be great on 1989 songs. I mean, the first among them might be Olivia Rodrigo, actually, covering, uh, you know, one of her favorite artists uh, songs. Yeah, I think that's it. I think you have to find because one, there has to be enough sort of distance between the album and present day. Mm -hmm. And you need to have an album where um, there are a number of um, students of that album. Yeah, that that would be willing to pay tribute to it and would go on the record as being like, yes, I love this album. I love this artist. I want to cover this song and I want to give, you know, whatever it is. And I think for Taylor, that kind of fits in her wheelhouse, you know? Yeah, 100%. Um, I also thought of um, Adele's, well, Adele, because everyone loves Adele. Yeah. And the 21 album, because everyone loves 21 and everyone knows Mm -hmm. those songs. And I think... You know, I think it might be very daunting to redo those songs because it's the voice of Adele. But I think because the songs, like you've said, Katie, like if you can take the song and reinterpret it and reimagine it, and I think you can do that probably with a lot of Adele's songs, you don't need to hit all these crazy big high notes. You can just sort of do your own emotional rendition of it. Um, Those are the two that we immediately thought of. Um, I'm sure there's lots of others. Did you think of any other ones, Katie? Um, well, because we were thinking, I was thinking in terms of like anniversaries, the other thing that popped into my head was, um, one of my favorites, John Mayer. He's celebrating the 20th anniversary of, um, his debut album Room for Squares this year. And I would think that he's somebody who, as you said, there are students of him. I would think of like Ed Sheeran, Louis Capaldi, these guys who write like a really emotional song or play guitar are people that might easily like, you know, pick up one of his songs and, yeah. and be able to interpret it. Um, I, I like the idea for um, Lady Gaga that she tied it to the 10 year anniversary. And also that um, she 
specifically enlisted LGBTQ artists since Born This Way was such a monumental album for um, for the LGBTQ community. So that, like you said, it's got to have a peg. It's got to make sense. So bring out the uh, guitar guys for a John Mayer covers album. <laughs> yeah, or or, or maybe or maybe um, or maybe uh, just uh, some Grateful Dead type fans because of his affiliation with the Dead, or um, maybe some jazz fans because he's done some jazz side projects. Um, yeah, I mean, you it, maybe we can get John on the show and pitch him this idea, Katie. I think we should because I need to talk about his new song, "Last Train Home." I I need to talk about it. And the two of you can invent a song <laughs> together off the cuff, like you did last time yeah, when he was on the show. Exactly. 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 Um, well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Uh, tweet us what you think. I mean, if there if there's if there's uh, albums that you think would be perfect for this kind of treatment, let us know. I'm sure there's some that you know we aren't really thinking about. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's one thing to think of like those old classic albums from like the 60s and the 70s and sort of I suppose the 80s. I mean, I thought of them like because I'm naturally going to think I'm like, oh, Madonna, like a prayer. Right. You, you could probably find you know Ariana Grande would probably cover something for for you, Madonna. So, uh, but no, but I love I love the idea of a modern one. Just like I love what Gaga has done. I think it's such a great idea. All right. Well, now it's time for the chart stat of the week. Twenty years ago this week, Destiny's Child's "Bootylicious" bounced its way onto the Hot 100 chart, debuting at number 66 on the June 9th, 2001 dated chart. The track would dance its way to number one on the August 4th chart, spending two weeks at the top and marking the fourth and so far final number one for the group. Bootylicious was built around a sample of Edge of Seventeen by Stevie Nicks, which was a number 11 peaking Hot 100 hit for Nicks back in 1982. As Nicks wrote Edge of Seventeen, she got writing credit on Bootylicious, and when Booty got to number one, it gave Nicks her second number one as a songwriter, following Fleetwood Mac's Dreams in 1977. Years later, in 2020, Edge of Seventeen would turn up again in another Hot 100 hit as Miley Cyrus paid tribute to the cut in her single Midnight Sky, which we talked about on last week's show with Midnight's co-writer and co-producer, Watt. But it was this week, 20 years ago, when Destiny's Child's Bootylicious debuted on the Hot 100 on its way to number one with a little help from Edge of Seventeen. All right, we have reached the end of our show. Um, any parting words, Katie? I like how you tied that chart set in with uh, our Watts interview. I, that was nice. Some, somehow I was able to, to weave in Stevie Nicks, Destiny's Child, Bootylicious, Sampling, Watt, <laughs> Miley Cyrus, and Rumors all into the same show. Hey, look at that. <laughs> so are we going to go out on some John Mayer or what? I'm like, I'm like, Bootylicious, Stevie Nicks, blah, blah, blah. You're like, so John Mayer, John Mayer, right? John Mayer, the mayor of John, John Mayer. Sure. Yeah, la- Last Train Home. The people need to hear that, like, Toto guitar riff. That's the new song? Yes, yeah. We'll go out on that, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye. I'm running for the last train. I'm running for the last train home.